Hello and welcome to Premier League Press Box, the podcast with stories you won't hear anywhere else. I'm Nigel Bidmead. And I'm Ian Beach. Coming up in this episode, we talk to a Daily Mail reporter and a hospital radio commentator. Now, Beach, you've been away. I have, yep. yep. Where have you been? I've been, I've been in Madrid. Uh, I was covering, covering the Youth Olympics in Argentina. How does that work? Yeah, well, it, we were making television programs about um, the Youth Olympic Games in Madrid. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was very, very enjoyable. And I managed to squeeze in a couple of La Liga matches oh, yeah. in Madrid, which was, mm-hmm. um, which was great fun. Actually, no, it's not quite true because one of them was a Champions League game. I saw Atletico Madrid and uh, then I saw a game at Getafe. Right. Have I pronounced that right? Sounds good. <laughs> um, did you enjoy both? I did. I did very much. i tell you what. I saw a player playing for Getafe. Jene, his name is. He's mm-hmm. from Togo. Fantastic central defender. And I think he could be a really, really effective um, defensive midfielder. Claude McAlealy type in the Premier League. Um, I may be miles out with that. He may have just had one good game. But I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Mm. And... Have you been to football recently? You've been, you've been back for a few Yeah, days, I've been back you? for a while. Um, I went on Saturday to Everton against Brighton. I was commentating on that one with Ray Houghton. Seamus Coleman scored. He did. I, I got a bit excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were broadcasting for Irish Radio. Yeah, Seamus Coleman's first goal for, I think, 22 months. And uh, he'd been out for a year. I got to interview Seamus after the game in the tunnel. Um, the tunnel at Goodison Park is very, very narrow. It's probably not as wide as this table that we're sitting on, and I can almost reach out and touch you. Um, so we had lots of other players sort of bun- barging past as we were doing it. You've, I'm sure you've been in a similar situation where you're doing an interview and the player's getting distracted by other people, tapping them on the shoulder and making fun of them. Well, I was at Chelsea at the weekend. That is also a very narrow yeah. sort of tunnel, and um, we didn't have uh, anybody distracting us while we were interviewing, but Eden Hazard on his way <laughs> just walked up to three or four of us radio reporters and went hello girls and <laughs> and shook our hands which he thought he thought we well we all laughed um and we talked to Roy Hodgson afterwards I know he was on the end of a 3-1 defeat and um he's got games coming up against uh, Tottenham and Manchester United he wasn't in a great mood and uh, one of the reporters asked him about Wayne Rooney whether he'd um you know offer an opinion on Wayne Rooney's sort of testimonial game for England and Roy would cut him very short and said no I'm not interested in doing that and he can be a little a bit like that, but um, I think they all can after defeats, can't they? So. Yeah. Well, we'll get on to a bit more about that later on because the uh, interview with John Walker from Hospital Radio, we, we actually do explore what happens post-match. Um, there's one question, actually, I'm gonna, we're going to try and get to the bottom of with John, which is why he gets to ask the first question at every post-match press conference at West Ham, which is a, a strange phenomenon, but we'll, we'll get on to that later on. Yeah, okay. Um, Well, let's get to the first of our interviews then. Riyath Al-Samari is a sports writer on the Daily Mail. He's a mate of mine and um, I caught up with him at Fulham recently, dragged him away from his lunch. We were in the tunnel underneath that Archibald Leach stand Um, and I asked him how he got started in journalism. Um, Oddly, well, after the kind of conventional sort of school newspaper, university newspaper, my first job was actually covering around the world yacht race which was interesting because I'd never been on anything other than the cross channel ferry and I'd never sailed a boat and I think that quite quickly became evident in my coverage leading to one there was one particular episode I think it was um, I think it was probably about two months into that race 
and it would it, it, basically the boats would race from city to city around the world. I think by the time we got to Cape Town, which was the second stop, a guy called Torben Grail, who's a five-time Olympic medalist, uh, comes up to me one day and sort of wants to take exception with something that I've written and. Uh, at some point, I believe I've called, I might have called him tactically naive or something to that effect. And at that point, he inquired about my own, my own sailing knowledge, and the conversation quickly descended into farce. <laughs> um, okay, so you've done the round the world yacht race, and then so how do you end up on the on the Daily Mail? That's quite a big step isn't it well it kind of it went from there on to, i worked at the um i worked at the press association for a couple of years did the usual sort of grounding in in sort of reporting sort of news reporting football reporting sub editing and um from there i then went back and did another round the world yacht race because the um sailing public effectively demanded <laughs> such informed coverage second time round yeah. um after that i did um i did a book i did a book with one of the sailors because once once more i just you can't you can't beat that kind of informed coverage <laughs> and um and and then from there i went to the daily mail where i started off as a sub editor and uh, at the Daily Mail, I mean, obviously they, 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 they put a lot of resources into their sports coverage. Uh, it, it's, it's renowned for its sports coverage. As you, you as a writer and as a reporter, are you under a lot of pressure? I think, I think, I think going back to what you initially said there, yeah, they, they've, they're, their investment in journalism, I think, is unrivaled. I think it's obviously a very difficult time for the industry as a whole, but when you look at the Daily Mail... One thing they can never be accused of is not backing their reporters and not investing in the journalism itself. So, when when we do when we, when 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 something does crop up, they're more than happy to sort of you know allow a reporter to follow through on an idea. Obviously, there's 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 a pressure attached to it. But I think that's I think that's industry wide as well. There's there's an expectation that you know. To, to bring in stories, there's an expectation to bring in interesting original features and interviews. You say that the the newspaper industry is in trouble. I mean, we don't know what the future holds. Mm. What about your own position? Do you, do you think about that a lot? Uh, you try not to. <laughs> it's um, you know, it's it is one of those. I think um, you know the industry's changing, but it's also exciting. I don't think there's ever been as big a demand for news as there is now. I don't think there's actually ever been a bigger necessity for accurate, accurate, reliable journalism as there is now. I think, uh, you know, in the age of social media, which, you know, we talk about the age of social media, it's been going on quite a long time now. Almost anyone can be a reporter, but not almost anyone can be a journalist. You, you, there needs to be there needs to be some there needs to be some level of sort of professional quality that goes into what you're just chucking out into the ether. I know uh, just as just as a recent example, it just sort of scared the life out of me. Was Enzo Calzaghe dying? Now it became sort of news started to break on the Friday night through social media sort of, you know, R.I.P. Enzo Calzaghe and sort of rightly paying tribute to a legend with the, with the, with the, it actually turned out he hadn't passed away and it's like, how, how sort of dreadful is that? He, 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 di- he died a couple of days later and you're thinking sort of, how do, how do we have a scenario where thing, things like that can happen? And and that, and, that, and that's a worry. That's only one one small example. But as I say, in terms of the sort of future of the industry, I think there's a greater demand than ever for proper professional journalists. It's just that the medium's changing, and it, it's about how people and organisations adapt to that. 
And uh, now, what about today? Um, we're here at football. What are your duties today? Uh, write, write a match report for the website for the for Mail Online. Uh, uh, do you have a deadline? Twi- yeah, that, that, that'll, that'll be something that I'll file for as soon as the match finishes. So, well, in theory, they say it's on the whistle. With me, it's usually about five minutes after the whistle. Um, then I'll do a rewrite of that for, the, for tomorrow morning's Mail on Sunday. And following that, I will write a another piece, a sort of more considered forward-facing piece for Monday's Daily Paper. And how do you find football compared to the other sports? Is it is it harder to report on? Do you have access to players and managers? Well, I think I think the the access is uh, is nothing like what it is with several other sports. So one of the main ones that I cover is boxing, and we just get this fantastic access with people who want to tell their stories and who really their their kind of incomes depend on them telling their stories. You know, sort of they need to drum up more interest in themselves and so they are more willing to speak to the press you go you, you look at the football environment a lot of the players are more media trained the access is is far more restrained and so actually when it comes to an interview or a feature or a sort of any standard sort of quotes piece you know with foot with football it's often i find not quite as um, as enlightening as it can be with other sports but that being said football is the market leader by by far it's what people it's what people want to read so you just sometimes have to be a bit more new and original in in, in how you approach a topic that was a very interesting uh, chat with riath he's he's got a deadpan delivery hasn't he? <laughs> he's, yeah he's a very funny man he's also a really really good writer which is why he's on the daily mail and um it's always good to spend a bit of bit of time with him one question that comes out of that for me is how much in-depth knowledge of a sport do we need to cover it Riath's talking there about covering sailing and I know he's he's being a, he's being a little bit um what? modest yeah and saying he didn't really know anything about it and you know I, I get it he obviously knows more than he lets on which I guess is is probably the case for all of us isn't it I've I've covered some some sports I had very very little knowledge of before I covered them right, like football yeah <laughs> Uh, now go on. What what sports do you think well, about like, in particular? Um, let's say shooting. I covered mm. shooting at the London Olympic Games, mm-hmm. and you go into it. You're, you're quite, you know, certainly for me, I was quite worried. What what do I know about shooting? Um, but a lot of it, I find, is you've got to find what is the nub of the sports. What is it that decides who wins and loses? And if you can find that, a lot of the time, I think. You can uh, you can describe what's going on, but then Riath's talking about interviewing people and being able to ask an educated question, I suppose, rather than doing a commentary job or, or explaining something in the highlights of a sport. If we interview somebody after a match, you you have to show some kind of knowledge of their sport, some kind of sympathy, understanding, in order for them to give you a, a full answer. I think. Well, uh, like you, I've covered a lot of sports, um, you know, of which I have minimal knowledge and interviewed a a lot of people after those sports. I've always felt that if you look them in the eye and ask them an honest question, um, you tend to get a pretty good answer. And I think some of the smaller sports, I'm thinking, for example, um, slalom canoeing in in Rio. Um, I didn't really know too much about it, um, but I made it my sort of job to learn a little bit about it. And and. I think you just keep it simple. When somebody comes through the mix zone, you say, how did it go? What was the, you know, 
what led you to, to putting in that good time or, or, or whatever the question is. I think, you know, they will accept that you're not an expert. And I always take the view that I want to know the answer to this question. Yeah, I suppose that, that is the slight difference. You know, Riyadh's talking about writing a longer piece mm. and having to describe what went on and yeah. having to know which bits you need to describe and which bits aren't actually important. Um, so I've probably not been in that position for a long time where I've covered a sport in that way. We, we get into our niches, don't we? I, I'm sure you feel the same. We, well, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of Riath, but he, um, he can certainly talk a lot of bollocks, so I'm, I'm assuming he can write it as well. <laughs> um, shall we move on? I think we better. I think that's uh, You've drawn a line <laughs> under that. Um, our second interview this week is with um, a friend of mine, actually. His name is John Walker. Uh, you'll probably realise that we're friends when you listen to us talking. And um, I started out doing hospital radio. as a, That was where I first did any, any commentary. And uh, John was actually the first person I commentated with. It's not like covering a game for um, uh, Radio 5 or whatever. We would have two commentators and we would do half each. And then the other person would act as the summariser. So we wouldn't have like an ex-professional player, but you would get another person's point of view in the commentary. So, um, yeah, that's how John and I first started working together and we have a lot of camaraderie that goes back to those days i'm sure you'll hear that you commentate on west ham and Leighton orient matches for whips cross hospital radio uh, we're, we're very fortunate to be a radio hospital radio station that can provide live football coverage to our patients every saturday because virtually every saturday Leighton orient play at home west ham play at home and vice versa so we run a sports show every Saturday afternoon right throughout the uh, football season and most of our patients are either late Orient or West Ham fans or both. The first time I ever did a commentary, I did it with you. You did indeed. <laughs> you did indeed. <laughs> and let me guess it was nil-nil. <laughs> I think it was. I had a reputation for that. The first I? six games, I think, were nil-nil, something like that. How did you get into doing all this? I mean, I could tell the story about how I, how I started, but, you know, I, I'm interested in how you started doing it because you're from Northern Ireland and suddenly yeah. you're, you're doing this for a station in London. Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I, I used to commentate when I played Sabudio as a kid. Uh, I used to watch uh, David Coleman commentate on the television and Brian Butler do, do the radio. So when I was playing Subutio, because I had a big board and the, the a green beige pitch was ironed out onto it, and I commentated, I was passing the, the ball around with the players. So I, I sort of did that as a kid anyway. And I got dragged into Whips Cross because my wife joined the radio station and I didn't really want to bother. And she said, well, why don't you come down? And they did a sports show on a Saturday afternoon and asked me to come along. And we had lots of celebrities coming for the afternoon from all different sports. Uh, and we did interviews for, for them or with them. And um, they said, well, you obviously know quite a lot about sport because you know something about most sports. I said, yes, jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, so I got dragged into it that way. So it was by accident more than anything else. But it's not your job, is it, John? For everybody else yeah. I've spoken to doing this, it's a profession. But you are a volunteer, which are probably Absolutely. people don't realise. You don't get paid a penny for coming no, to do this, no. but you absolutely love doing it, obviously. It's the enjoyment of watching Lake Norris and uh, West Ham do so well. Or not. <laughs> you were telling me just now about you saw Harry Kane score his first goal, I think, didn't you, when he was playing for Orient? I did indeed. He did have a spell for Lake Norris. And I remember when he scored his first goal, and we all went down the pitch side to interview Harry. And, and as I said to you a little bit earlier, none of us thought he would ever make it in the Premiership. We thought, well, this is his level, League One football. <laughs> so it shows I know very little about the game. 
Well, we all know very little. There's one thing I really want to get to the bottom of. Uh, we're here, we've seen, men, we've seen West Ham play against Tottenham here today, and you've been to the press conference. And what did you ask Manuel Pellegrini in the press conference? Well, I always ask the first question. Nuri always asks the first question. I said to him that uh, on the basis of the second-half performance, um, West Ham should have got something out of the game. How comes you always get to ask the first question, John? It's, it's almost a tradition. I go to Premier League cl- clubs, every single club all over the country. This is the only ground, the only club that has this tradition where the hospital radio reporter asked the first question. But I seem to remember when we started, it wasn't like that at all. And somehow, I think you've made it happen. I think that's probably how it worked. I've got my own theories about it, but you, you tell me how it started. I think it's partially um, there's a bit of silence whenever uh, the manager turns up and sits by the desk. And it's a bit of an embarrassing silence. And I've just decided that you're sitting around, who's going to ask the first question? There's, there's a great reluctance in the press room for people to ask the first question. Once the first question is asked, people sort of get into the swing of it and it goes on. And I, I noticed there was a lot of embarrassing silences, especially if the team's lost. Um, and we're here to try and promote the club and, uh, because our supporters, our listeners, our supporters, so they don't want to hear anything derogatory about the club. They want to hear the good side about it. And there always is a positive element, never matter how bad the team's been at a game. So I always try and pick out the positives about the game. So we might have lost 5-0, however, and you would have start off with a positive question. And I think they appreciated that. And some West Ham managers have actually thanked me whenever they finish their stints at West Ham. For, Thanks for always starting with a positive question, John. Really? Who? Can you name names? I won't name names because that would be telling tales. But OK, fair enough. Several have done over the years. I thought it might... I, I seem to remember when Harry Redknapp was the manager. I thought it might have gone back to those days. That There, was, there were times when Harry got particularly argumentative in press conferences. I thought it might have harked back to that. And people were a bit reticent about asking the first question because whoever it was he would have something to say back to them but of course hospital radio he wouldn't do that there was a running joke that um i I think with harry and and i i did work for the west ham website for two or three years and did all their transmissions down the website and interviews and it was a bit of a running joke that if i i i can ask some silly questions at times I remember one time at Boxing Day saying Christmas come early, and uh, <laughs> he, he loves that sort of thing because he picks, he's sharp as a razor, and always come back with a suitable response to it. So I think he quite enjoyed that. John's likely to ask a silly question, but a nice silly question. Tell me about your day job, John, because you know you've you've got an interesting job as well as what you do here. Yeah, I'm a town planner, so I uh, I've worked at Westminster for 34 years. Um, uh, working on redevelopment sites all, all over, including Buckingham Palace, um, including the, the Palace of Westminster, the decant of Parliament out of Westminster, through to the American Embassy, uh, you, you name it. We've got everything. We've even got Lord's Cricket around at Westminster. <laughs> um, one of the things, one of the reasons I got into doing this myself was to be part of a team that covers the matches and, and makes a programme. And I, mean, I really feel like I was part of a team when I was working on hospital radio week in, week out. It's something that I still have with me, you know, whenever I see you guys. It, I really still feel a part of it. It's a, there's a real camaraderie there, and there'll be people you're working with week in, week out. I'm sure you feel just the same. You, you very much need a team for something like this. To be doing it every single Saturday throughout the football season, which Whipscross does, 
for years and years and years now, you need a dedicated team that people need to be in the station, people need to be at the game. And sometimes you get up on a Saturday morning, the weather looks dreadful, and, and the team, uh, West Ham or Late Norrins, have bad patches. Uh, and you've got to get up and go to the game when the weather's awful. But, uh, so we have a very, very dedicated group of people. We are always at every game and we cover every game. And the programme is brilliant, I have to say that. It, it was a great start for me to, to do it. And the, there's a level of professionalism. I'm sure people will hear this and they'll think, oh, hospital radio, it's mm. amateur mm. in some way. There's nothing amateur about it. It was as good a programme as I've ever worked on, I have to say. You know, you're part of that as well. Uh, the, the studios are fantastic. Yeah. I mean, if you saw the studios, the studios at Whips Cross are better than an awful lot of commercial radio stations. Mm. There are three large rooms, uh, two different desks. There's a room in the middle that you've interviewed people. They're very, very large. It's got technology there. It's all computerised, everything. It is a very professionally set-up station because the volunteers that do all that behind-the-scenes work are professionals that have worked for the BBC, ITV and radio and other stations as well and, and they walk out of working for the Beeb and then they come and do that on a weekend to uh, keep the hospital radio station going. I mean, they're dedicated people and some of them have been doing it for 40 odd years. Yeah, it's fantastic. There you go, John Walker, a brilliant broadcaster I have to say but somebody that you have uh, you know, almost certainly not heard broadcasting and that is the nature of hospital radio and he was talking there about what happens in post-match press conferences now what what john is talking about there is what happens at the stadium after the match which is slightly different from there's a there's there'll be a pre-match press conference which i know you went to one didn't you last week uh yes yes that's among my duties i went to one at oh i have to remember now oh it's west ham john wouldn't have he wouldn't have been going to a pre-match press conference he's only talking there about what happens in the stadium after the match there's a there is a slightly different sort of number of people who go to the pre-match press conferences which well, are weekdays i have to tell you at west ham for manuel pellegrini there was hardly anybody there really yeah there, 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 there was a there was a handful of reporters uh, i know it, i know that changes if there's a, a a big story and it does depend on how well the team were doing mm. but even big premier league clubs like west ham can only get you know five or six reporters but the phenomenon there is that you get TV cameras who um, cover Everybody the press. Everybody takes conference. the quotes off Sky Sports News. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, not even that. There, there are people who are entitled to receive that coverage, aren't there? There are mm. stations who can, uh, if you're Premier League rights holder, for instance, you can have the pre-match press conference material, and that's how they receive it. So they don't even send anybody to go and ask questions. They just receive what the manager says on video. Mm. So that's that's how it works. So. Hopefully that gives you a little bit of an insight into what happens in our uh, our business. Well, Manuel didn't say very much of interest. Didn't he? No, he didn't. Well, maybe they need a few more people there to ask some interesting questions. Ah, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, next week, um, what, are you, have you got a game next week? I have got a couple of games next week. I'm off to Spurs on the Saturday, and then uh, it is Chelsea-Everton on the Sunday. Right. You okay. Saw? Well, you you wouldn't believe where I'm going. It's uh, I haven't told you this. I thought I'd wait oh, until we were recording. This is an FA Cup game, Haringey Borough or something, isn't it? I'm going to Buenos Aires. Are you? I am, and I am. I am hopefully. Well, I'm going to cover Boca Juniors versus River Plate in the Liverpool first Torres leg. Cup. Oh, fantastic! How'd you get that one? <laughs> well, it's a bit of a coincidence because I'm going to I'm going to Buenos Aires. 
and it just so happens they've qualified for the final. The two, you know, the, oh, the so most you had, intense, a, holiday, you had yeah. a holiday plan to yep. Buenos Aires. Oh, fantastic. Place the most to go. intense rivalry. In probably in world football, and they've qualified for for the, for the first time for the first yeah, time to yeah, meet each yeah. other in the final. Oh, fantastic! So um, you've got a place in the press box. Well, that's we. I'm I'm trying to arrange that. Yeah, hopefully. But even still, just to be in Buenos Aires to see those two huge rivals um, play each other and, and to experience the atmosphere will be fantastic. So hopefully, what I'll do next week on the podcast is I'll, I'll give you a bit of a flavour of that. We'll do some uh, do some recordings there for. Um, for the Press no, Box no, podcast. No, no, no. Really, no? really, you want to be at Selhurst Park, don't you? <laughs> In the next episode of Premier League Press Box, we discover the real story behind Ian Wright's transfer from Crystal Palace to Arsenal. Until then, from myself, Nigel Bidney. And from me, Ian Beach. It's bye for now. Bye-bye.